Amen. Good morning, church. Everyone enjoying their summer? So I've definitely uh, been enjoying mine. Just got back uh, late yesterday from a week uh, up in Michigan and uh, more towards the northern part of Michigan, hence the t-shirt I'm wearing this morning. Um, Very relaxing, very restful, uh, good time. So I get back and um, remember that I have to preach a sermon on judgment. (laughs) And I'm thinking, man, of all the things to come back from a week at the lake and to have to preach, like judgment, right? Like why not peace or joy, right, or something like that? relationships, how important it is to be in relationship with people, like something like that would be really good on the heels of a lake vacation, but no, I got judgment. So uh, the way we're going to start this this morning is I'm actually going to, I'm going to ask you to help me, okay? If you had never known me before, okay, and some of you don't know me, but, but if, if none of you had ever known me before and you just met me today, this morning, right where I stand, I want you to help me. What are some things that you would think some, some preconceived ideals that you might have about me just based on what you know, which, again, this morning we're all pretending is nothing. Okay, so I want you to throw it out. Based, just looking at me right now, I want you to throw out some things that you, you think you know about me. Okay, go. This could be fun. Don't worry, you're not going to hurt my feelings. You are not one of the pastors. I am not one of the pastors. <laughs> What's weird is that's not limited to just this morning. I've actually been getting that for seven years. All right. Yes, anybody? I'm young? Oh, thank you. Who said that? You're my new favorite person. All right. Yes, anybody else? I did turn 39 this week, by the way. I'm comfortable, okay? All right, yeah. I'm just kind of relaxed, just kind of a chill kind of person, right? Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Friendly and open. That's good. That's good. I like this response so far. Somebody's going to nail me. Jay Hensley's thinking of a good one. I can tell. He's got his brain working right now. Anybody else? Yes. I'm okay. Yes. That would be a likely, right? Like he's wearing Michigan. Have you ever done that? Like someone's been wearing like a college or something and you assume they're a fan or you assume they went there and they're like, no, I just got this at a thrift store, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like boating, beaches, lake, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so I must be what? Nuts, right? So what's weird is it was unseasonably warm in Michigan this week. I mean, 84, 85. But man, like as we were driving home yesterday, the thermostat on the vehicle just kept going up, right? I think 97 was the highest we hit at one point. We're like, what in the world are we returning to? So crazy, yeah. Anybody else? I'm not a sweat. <laughs> you would be correct. <laughs> I do not own one. Mark Rowland did invite me a few times to, to come, and he was going to pay for it even, but um, I never took him up on it. So, All right. How many of you have ever been subject to someone else's, another person's judgment of you? Whether it be fair or unfair, someone has judged you in the past. Oh, really? Okay. Someone has judged you in the past. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. How many of you have either fairly or unfairly judged another person at some point in the past? Okay, all right. So we've all been there, right? We can all remember a time when we were either judged or when we judged someone. Maybe we looked at another person and immediately we drew certain 
um, understanding or certain conclusions based on what they looked like, based on how they were dressed, based on what they were wearing, based on the color of their hair, based on um, any number of things about them, maybe about uh, how they sounded when they talked, uh, maybe about uh, conclusions based on how they lived, um, the color of their skin, the car they drove, the house they lived in, uh, their religious or political views, um, the particular things they were saying on social media, I mean, just their occupation, anything, right? You name it. There's lots of different things that we use to draw sort of these preconceived ideals about who a person is, to, to basically judge them. Um, John Vandermeer, where are you? You're here somewhere this morning. Yeah. So do you still do the exercise with um, eighth graders where you do like the go offline type thing where they do the iceberg? Yeah. So every year at, at Nagel, um, they, do this, they do this activity where they bring in the eighth graders and they draw basically an iceberg up on a board, and they just say, okay, so how much of an iceberg is actually visible to, you know, the captain of the ship, right? It's a very small amount. Most of the iceberg is underneath the water. And so they talk about what are the things that are, like, that represent that top part of the iceberg, the, the part that everyone can see. And those are things like what we wear, how we dress, what we look like, the color of our skin, those types of things. But the real things that define who we are are the things that are underneath the water level, Right? The, the, more, the more intimate things about us, the, our personality makeup, who we are, our beliefs, like those kinds of things. But we often judge people based on the 20% or whatever that we can see rather than the 80% that lies underneath the water, right? Because the 80% would take us actually taking time to get to know that person as opposed to just seeing them and drawing immediate conclusions upon who they are. You kind of following with me? So this morning we're talking about judgment, and I want to read for you a scripture. Now this comes from the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount uh, for several weeks now, and we're nearing a conclusion. Next week is the conclusion of our Sermon on the Mount series. I'll be back up here again, um, and I'm excited to, to share that with you. But before we get there, before we get to that conclusion, there's kind of one more little thing here that Jesus wants to teach us on, and it's, and it's judgment. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me, uh, Matthew chapter 7. And we're actually going to look at the six, first six verses. And then next week we're going to kind of continue and finish out uh, Matthew 7. But this is the first six verses. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. All right, this is an interesting passage. Okay, it's a little even confusing at times. People in our day and time will use this passage, uh, quote this passage, to forbid kind of like any type of judgment. I mean, even going as far as like, to forbid any type of spiritual judgment or moral judgment or evaluation of another person or a situation. I mean, I hear it all the time from our younger generations. Don't judge, right? Don't judge me. You can't judge me. 
And, and there's an element of, of truth in that. There's an element of, of something that I think we all need to hear. There's a message in there that we all need to hear. But there's also a part of that that really isn't, I mean, it's certainly not what Christ intended. So let's, let's kind of explore this a little bit. Let's uncover exactly what Jesus was saying here, okay? Because Jesus was not saying that we should never judge another person's behavior. It's not, not really what he was getting at. The Bible has several ways of using this word, this word judge. So the first thing we've got to figure out is the context in which it's being used here by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Now sometimes judge, that word, is used to speak of judging between two things, okay? And we all do this. It's the act of differentiating or discerning between two different things. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? Right? What is good? What is evil? Um, what is righteous before God as, as the way that we live, and what is unrighteous type of behavior and living. This kind of judgment, this sense of discernment, is really not what Jesus was commanding us to avoid. In fact, throughout the Bible, we're actually called to discern a good thing from a bad thing, a true thing from a false thing, right? Um, actually, in next week's um, sermon, as we begin to kind of live into Matthew 7, we'll see where Jesus talks about judging between two types of prophets, a true prophet and a false prophet. And he'll say the way that you can tell the difference is by the fruit that their life produces. So he'll say good prophet, true prophet, their life produces good fruit. Bad prophet, false prophet, their life pr produces no fruit, basically. And so he's, he's even instructing us just a few verses later to, to judge in a certain way, to discern, right, for ourselves between two different types of people. So clearly this is not what Jesus is getting at. Um, to parents, we have to be discerning, right? We have to be a little judge, judgmental in, in, a, in a good way, in a healthy way. I mean, we have to judge, we have to discern what kids we want our kids hanging around, Right? We, we all kind of have fathers. You're like me. You have a certain image of the kind of boy that you want to come home and to quarter date your daughter, right? I mean, you've, you've kind of already got that affixed in your head. Now, for some of you, that may not have worked out too well, and I'm sorry, okay? Those of you that are sitting next to your son-in-laws, just kind of elbow them, right? But, but we've all kind of got this idea, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And teenagers, regardless of what you think now, there will come a day when you as parents are doing the same thing to your kids that we were punishing you with, right? That's just the way it works. But judgment as discernment is not the kind of judgment that Jesus is prohibiting here in verse 37. Judgment as condemnation, however, is. That's why he says in verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Basically, he's saying the same thing twice. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Jesus, what he's doing is he's calling on us. He was calling on his disciples. He was preaching to the Pharisees of the time not to condemn people, not to pass final judgment, to leave final judgment to God. It's his job, not ours. You can see this uh, is Jesus' approach by the way that he lived his life. I mean, who did Jesus hang with? Who did Jesus spend time with? Who did Jesus really minister to? Who did Jesus dine with, kick back at the table with? The broken and the hurting, the people of the day who were really declared as being sinful, as being outcast, those were the people that Jesus spent his time with. We see in John 8 a story where a woman is caught in adultery. 
right? And for those of you that know the story, you know how it happened. Jesus is, is out there, and all of a sudden, um, some Pharisees, some teachers of the law uh, bring this woman to Jesus. And, and really what they're attempting to do is to trip up Jesus, to get him to say something out of place. But they're using this woman in order to do this. So they bring this woman to him, and, and they're kind of out in this, you know, major area of the city, and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law, Old Testament, says that we should stone her for her wrongful doing. What do you say? And, and these, these guys, these Pharisees, these teachers, all, they're right. Because in Deuteronomy 22:22 it says, If a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. That was the law of the day, the rule of the day, that they should be stoned. However, John lets us know that the religious leaders were not really interested in following the rules or in achieving justice. They were really interested in trying to trick Jesus. And so this woman is standing there before Jesus. She's looking downcast, humiliated, guilty, shameful. I mean, she's been caught right in the middle of this act. She's broke the rule. It's a big one. She knows that her, her life is literally in danger. And the religious leaders are standing there and they're waiting for an answer. And Jesus does something really strange. He says to them, let you who has never sinned cast the first stone. And then he kind of kneels down in the sand. And what does he do? He begins to draw a right in the sand. And the Bible tells us, it paints this beautiful picture of, 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 of grace versus judgment. It shows this picture where one by one, all of those Pharisees and those teachers of the law and the people who were just a few seconds ago shouting condemnation on this woman began to walk away. And some scholars actually believe that when Jesus knelt down and drew in the sand that he must have been writing out the sins of the people who were standing in that circle hurling condemnation. And that as they began to look upon their own lives and their own faults and their own shortcomings that they left feeling guilty and shameful for what they had done. And so Jesus tells this woman, he stands up and he says, woman, where have your accusers gone? And she says, they've all left. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. But he says, what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. See, it's not that Jesus is condoning this woman's behavior, right? He, he clearly, it's wrong. She's in the wrong. But he's also not condemning this woman. And that's the type of judgment that Jesus is getting at in Matthew 7. Jesus avoids the Pharisees' trap by making them look on their own guilt. And the scriptures tell us one by one they left with their own heads hung. We should sit up and take notice of what Jesus does here because instead of loving people, we often judge them. We often quickly jump to the thing that they've done wrong. Rather than pulling for someone to turn things around, we judge them. Rather than having understanding for the person who's made a mistake, we criticize them for not doing better. Rather than trying to help someone break free from an addiction, we judge them for not already having broken free on their own. Rather than appreciate the many good things about our friends and about our family members, we often focus on the one thing that we don't like about them. And Jesus reminds us that just as we set ourselves up as a judge of others, one day we too are going to be judged. Verse 2 says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. 
I was uh, sharing with my kids on vacation about this passage because we were talking about what daddy was going to preach on this week. And I was talking about the measure. And, and I think I said measuring stick or something like that. And Ben or one of the, one of the kids was like, oh, they had measuring sticks back then? Like, like they didn't quite. And I was just like, you're missing the point, right? Like the point is, however you look at others and treat them and judge them, that same thing is going to be used for us. And, and man, like, that's such a valuable lesson for us. And it's something that I think we just still struggle with, but we gotta, we gotta get it figured out. It's a sobering statement for sure. A judgmental spirit loses sight of how badly we all need God's grace. I love the passage of scripture that says his mercies are new every single day. Why do I love that passage? Not because I think everyone else needs it, but because I know how much I need it. I know how much I need the mercy of God every single day of my life. If we give mercy, then mercy will be given to us. If we judge harshly, then guess what? We will be judged harshly. That's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank out of your own eye? You are a hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. We become experts at seeing and fixing other people's faults, don't we? Really good at that. Like, I know how to fix everyone in my family, everyone in, on my street, everyone that I work with, everyone else who has teenagers, everyone else who has children, who parents, every other brother, every other son. I know how to fix them all, right? Just be like me, <laughs> right? Looking, looking like I just came from the beach, all laid back. Yeah, that's, my wife's probably laughing right now, wherever she is, because she knows that's not me, but... Think about that. Think about that. We don't always, it's not our place to fix other people. Because what happens is we get so fixated on fixing others that we become blind to our own faults, to our own weaknesses, to, the, to our own issues. The little speck in our eye, or the little speck in someone else's eye, drives us crazy, while the two-by-four sticking out of our own eye, no big deal, right? Right? A judgmental spirit is a spirit that criticizes and judges people quickly and without grace. It is jumping to judgments about other people. It's having a spirit that sets itself up as a judge over other people and that Jesus says is a very serious offense, a very serious thing. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I arrive at the wrong verdict when I judge people. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever judged somebody wrongly? Yeah. Uh, when we were on our way back into town, we stopped by um, a little gas station, and there were like three different places you could eat, and one of the places was a Fazoli's. You guys like Fazoli's? We hadn't eaten enough Fazoli's in a long time. It's like a little cheap Italian kind of deal. But I walk up, and I walk in the restaurant, and I'm getting ready to go order, and I notice that the lady who is taking our order is tattooed. And she's not tattooed. Like, I feel like tattooed has changed in our culture, right? Like we used to, say 30 years ago, people looked at someone with a tattoo, period, just tattoo, and they looked at them in a certain way, right? Now it's kind of like, what is your tattoo and where is your tattoo located? That tends to kind of make the difference, right? So tattoos have become much more socially acceptable. I mean, 
there's pretty much, I think, nine out of ten young people have them for sure, right? And even most of my generation. So tattoos are really no longer the deal. Now it's kind of like, where is your tattoo, right? And so this lady had tattoos above, like, both temples, and her entire neck was tattooed, right? And so immediately, because the, I'm human, I'm admitting it, I'm human, my mind went to, oh, man, this is, this is an interesting lady that's getting ready to, to take our order, Right? She was the nicest person I think I have ever met on planet Earth. Like, literally, not only did she take our order so politely, but she must have came to our table like three times while we were eating to take our trays for us, to bring us extra breadsticks, to ask us if we needed anything. I mean, it was like over-the-top nice, right? And so immediately I feel like, Shameful, right? Because when I first came in, I'm looking at her with the neck tattoos and the temple tattoos, and I'm thinking, all right, that's a statement I probably wouldn't make. But then, like, 15 minutes later, I'm like, yep, falsely did it. And then I find out I have to preach on judging, and I'm like, perfect. Okay, so (laughs) that's just the way it goes. But you're there with me, right? We do that all the time. We make up our minds before even talking to a person, before even really getting to know their heart. We make up our minds about who they are or how they're going to respond to us or how they're going to perceive us or how we perceive. I mean, it just, it just happens. Sometimes we arrive at the wrong verdict. Sometimes we come to the wrong conclusion. But God's judgments are what? God's judgments are perfect. And ours are not. And so we really need to li- leave that final judgment piece. We really need to leave that to him. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Sometimes we make the right verdict, but we have it at the wrong time. Like maybe there's some truth in our preconceived ideas of people. Maybe there's some truth in the things that we are judging about another person. But there's also an element of wisdom that we have to have from God to know when the right time to say something or to react to something or to respond to something. When, when, it, when is it the right time? When is it appropriate? We were talking this morning in our uh, small groups with the young people just about how we live in this day and age now with, with the texting and with social media and with all those things that we just, we want to quickly, we want to read something, we read into it probably more than is what really there, and then we want to immediately respond. And how dangerous that can be because we can totally miss what was being said, the, the intention behind what was being said, the, the tone of voice behind what was being said. And so we have to be careful. And sometimes it's the same for us. So there, so there is a type of judgment that I think is, is acceptable and that is good. And, and we use a, a Christian word for it, and it's called accountability. And, and this is an area where in our day and age and in our day and time, it was an accepted normal part of Christian culture in, in Bible days. But now it's become a lost art. Why? Because of the muddy way in which we mix it with this word judgment and the negative connotation on that word judgment in our culture. So that we don't want to hold each other accountable anymore because to hold each other accountable is to judge one another and to judge one another is wrong. It's bad, right? But the truth be, truth be told, there's actually a place for that in, in the Christian life. I need people who will willingly sit down with me across the table, look me in the eye, and tell me, Matt, this is an area of your life where you need to allow God to work. You need to be stretched. You need to grow. Now, granted, I will be the first to say it takes a certain kind of relationship to be able to do that with another person. But we've probably, for the most part, got those people in our life. We've got people that we love, people that we trust, people who love us and trust us, people who want for our good. And yet, even those people, we're often not willing to listen to, right? 
I re- uh, read a book recently, which is the basic premise of the whole book is how you can um, live life unoffended. And it talks about taking an approach in life where you just choose consciously to never be offended by anything that anybody says to you. And I know you're thinking that's impossible, right? And I think it probably is impossible, and the author of the book knows it's impossible. But it was such a good read, and it's an easy read. And it's just a good reminder that, man, a lot of, a lot of our being offended is a choice that we make. We choose to be offended anytime somebody says something to us, right? I can make the nicest comment offensive if I want to. I mean, somebody could tell me that my chocolate chip cookies were too hot or too warm or, or tasted warm or something like that, and somehow it could be, like, offensive, right? We just do that. We can make anything offensive and hurtful when there's actually a place for that in the Christian faith. There's a place for me to be able to look at Brad or look at Trent or look at Brian and say, hey, guys, I got I to gotta stra- shoot straight with you here. I got to talk to you about some stuff. We got we to gotta, we gotta get mono e mano on this thing, right? But it's a lost art in the Christian faith. James is passionate about this. He reminds us that um, love is a kingdom principle. And that if I play favorites, I'm being unloving. James, he says uh, in verse um, 9, he says, if you show favoritism, then you sin. And that's a problem. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's unloving. And it's a sin. We're not called to, to show favoritism. We're called to love all people. But we are also called to be honest. And to hold one another accountable. No religious favoritism in the church. Jesus had to deal with an issue one day. He called Matthew, a despised tax collector, to be one of his disciples. You remember that? Matthew, I like him because he's got a good name. And in gratitude, Matthew throws a dinner party. And he invites all these people that he knows, who obviously are also tax collectors. Who obviously in that day and time were also thought of as lowly. Right? He invites them to his, to his house. And Jesus is there, and he's hanging with them. And all of a sudden, all these religious types come along, and they see Jesus hanging with these people, and they look down their noses at it. And they say, how in the world, Jesus, could you hang out with all this riffraff? Well, Jesus hears them, and he says, this is what I am about. This, I, this is who I am here to help. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. So it all really starts with love. It all really starts with a willingness to to put down our preconceived ideals, to put down any show of favoritism and and to step out and just to get to know people and to befriend people. One of the best ways the enemy can keep us neutralized is to wrap us up in our own self-importance, to keep us focused only on ourselves, to keep us kind of living in a, in a bubble with people who are like us, who look like us, who sound like us, who think like we do, who believe like we do. We can't have it, especially not in the Christian community. So do you want to remove the unhealthy judgmentalism you have in regards to other people? Then you need to understand that we all are sinners, that we all make mistakes and that it is only by God's good gift of grace that we can even stand before him and worship him. We must boldly enter into environments where grace flourishes. Being in our safe place and insulating ourselves from people who are different than us, that's not what we want. It's not what Jesus wants. He was never insulated from people's pain. And he sure doesn't want us to stay in our own safe places.
Jesus engaged with those who were being crushed by their mistakes and bad choices. He wiped away the tears of the prostitutes, held the hands of the outcast, and touched the wounds of the sick and the mentally ill. He hung out with the not-so-perfect people of the world and showed them how to live. He touched them. He healed them. He was never concerned about a person's title, society, never concerned about what others thought of him for hanging out with them or what others thought of themselves. We were all sinners. We are all sinners. And he seeks all to come to repentance. We're all in need of this stunningly beautiful thing called grace. No, we're not called to condone people's behaviors, but we're not called to condemn them either. That's God's job. All we are called to do is show love and grace to those around us. Let us pray. God, we know that there is some responsibility on our shoulders to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil. God, we're not called to completely ignore it in our culture, in our communities, in our homes. God, to pretend as if it doesn't exist. God, we know that there are, there's such a thing as truth and there's also such a thing as lies. And God, we have to be able to differentiate, to distinguish, to discern between the two. And so God, there is a place for judgment in our life, but there is no place for condemnation. In fact, God, you tell us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so help us as we look at one another in the Christian community and as we look at people that we do life with, to not look with such a harsh, judgmental spirit, but to God, to see them in love and to see them with the eyes of grace, the same eyes in which you look upon us, Father. You don't see my sin. You don't see all the things that I've done wrong. You see a child of God, and I thank you for that. Help me to look at my Christian brothers and sisters in the same way. Help me to see those in the world who are lost or who are confused or who don't know you, God, as opportunities, opportunities to share the good message of your grace and your love. God, help us to be more like you. That's what it all boils down to, God, to being more like you every day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.